Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today we're going to continue talking about disability and ableism. In the last episode, we went over the Americans with Disability Act disability criteria, and we spoke about ableism and internalized ableism. Today, we want to keep the conversation going on these topics with the focus on ableism. And of course, in some moments when talking about ableism, we're going to turn inwards, and Britt and I will talk about how we have internalized some of these beliefs since they're so prevalent in our society. We did also want to give you a content warning regarding some of the things we may mention today in terms of what we experience in ourselves and others in the community. So those content warnings are for mentions of suicide, as well as very negative stereotypes or attitudes from other people towards those with disabilities. So in this episode, we're going to put a critical eye on ableism and what that means in our community and our society. A very critical eye. Yes, hypercritical. Ooh, my eye. As you said, critical eye. I'm just like squinting my eyes right here. <laughs> the laser I'm giving eyes. the beady eyes. I'm like, oh. <laughs> also, I, this is totally off topic, but I have really dry eyes and I cannot get my eyes open when I first wake up. I literally have to like rip them open and put drops in. Oh, God. Rip them open. <laughs> <laughs> I like, like that for you. <laughs> like rip apart the two lids and like shove gel. Pry them open. Yeah. And like drop the gel drops in and then like hold them shut and be like, oh. It like, sounds like it'd be hilarious in cartoon version. Yeah, in real life, it's not great. Like, if when you wake up from IC, interstitial cystitis, in the middle of the night, and you can't open your eyes, and you're stumbling to the bathroom <laughs> with your eyes squeezed shut, and they're burning. Yeah, the burning, uh-uh. Yeah. I don't like that. So, I don't like the not being able to open my eyes trying to get to the toilet, but... <laughs> so, we're going to give a real critical eye with Brittany's eyes. <laughs> my eyes have a lot of issues. So throughout this episode, we will be sharing a lot of our own experiences and opinions, as Amy just shared a lot of her own experience and opinion. <laughs> Get ready for that. Strap in, because that's what this episode is about. <laughs> and we did want to say up front that what we may feel about a certain topic. And we want all of you to feel. No, We Amy. are trying to convince you. No, Amy. This is the way it should be. That's very ableist of you, Amy. Amy, the overlord. <laughs> you don't have to agree with our personal opinion. You, you have to agree with mine. Okay, no. But not with <laughs> What you can't do is invalidate anybody's experience, but what you can do is have your own opinion about a theory or the way something is in our society or the way you feel about something that has happened to you. So, of course, your opinions are your own and ours are our own and they don't have to be the same. We all have different life experiences and we're all doing our best to just process them and live through them and understand them. And we have different situations and different frames and different lenses that apply to how we view the world and it's okay. What experiences happen to you are valid and they're real and the experiences that Amy and I have had are also valid and also real. 
So we want to open this conversation today in this episode around ableism, and we will share how we feel and we want to support you and how you feel as well. Ableism is prevalent in society, and it's systemic, just like racism and other forms of oppression and discrimination are. As we talk in this episode about some of the ableism we've personally experienced, we do want to preface by acknowledging that both Amy and I have our own ableist tendencies that we are actively unlearning and unpacking. We also want to recognize experiences with ableism differ from one person to another, And what we speak about in these episodes on ableism is not an exhaustive list of the ableist situations that people can face. As two people with dynamic and often invisible disabilities, our experiences have been different from people who have static disabilities and from people who have visible disabilities. As two white femme-presenting people, Our experiences with ableism have also differed from experiences of people who hold different identities from us, especially identities that have been historically marginalized. Therefore, it's important to know that we are only speaking for ourselves and not for the disability community at large. If our limited discussion of ableism interests you, we encourage you to follow disabled people online, on social media, because there are many disabled people bringing awareness and speaking out on these topics, and it's important to dismantle our own ableism by learning from people of various identities and perspectives. Since this entire episode is about ableism, of course we want to define what is ableism. Many people define ableism as discrimination against disabled people. With ableism, people who have disabilities are seen as inferior to people who don't have disabilities. So people with disabilities are seen as inferior to able-bodied people. But Brittany, I want to expand on that. We've been following the work of Talila Lewis, or TL, who is an abolitionist community lawyer, educator, and organizer. And TL says on TL's website, quote, Ableism is traditionally understood as being solely related to prejudice, discrimination, and oppression against disabled people. This traditional understanding of ableism is not expansive enough. It misunderstands the radical nature of ableism. Here is my working definition of ableism, which attempts to address some of the gaps in the traditional framing. End quote. So, Brittany, I wanted to share this working definition that is grounded in community work and conversation. We've seen that it's periodically modified as our collective understanding of ableism evolves. So the one that we're going to share now is from January 2022, with modifications in response to how the pandemic has shown us how various factors are taken into account to determine a person's worthiness and value. So this 2022 working definition is by Talila Lewis, developed in community with disabled Black and other negatively racialized people, especially Dustin Gibson. So here's the working definition of ableism that they came up with. Quote, A system of assigning value to people's bodies and minds based on societally constructed ideas of normalcy, productivity, desirability, intelligence, excellence, and fitness. These constructed ideas are deeply rooted in eugenics, anti-blackness, misogyny, colonialism, imperialism, and capitalism. 
This systemic oppression that leads to people in society determining people's values based on their culture, age, language, appearance, religion, birth or living place, quote-unquote health, quote-unquote wellness, and or their ability to satisfactorily produce and reproduce, quote-unquote excel, and quote-unquote behave. You do not have to be disabled to experience ableism, end quote. So if you'd like to take a look at that yourself, we've linked TL's website in the show notes today. And also that website has an in-depth write-up going into more details about this definition. So we highly recommend it. If ableism is something that's of interest to you, then definitely check out this working definition that TL and community have come up with. We also want to quickly define the social and medical models of disability. We talked about these in the previous episode, but we want to do a quick recap. So the medical model of disability greatly impacts ableism and attitudes towards the disabled. Yes, it does. Boo. Boo, boo. Boo, hiss. (laughs) (laughs) I'm giving the squinty dry eye over here. (laughs) More like the dry eye. (laughs) So between the two models, the medical and the social model, they're very different from each other. And the medical model sees disability as a negative or a bad change from the quote-unquote norm. And people with disabilities are thought of as abnormal or deficient, broken or damaged. Boo, boo. And boo. (laughs) And the medical model dictates that people with disabilities need to be fixed or cured by medical professionals. Seems a little biased, doesn't it? So under this medical model, disability is the disabled person's problem, and that's because of their impairment or condition. And the medical model is not accurate. It's not a true model that most people with disabilities say is something that they believe, and it's not the opinion of Amy and I to be accurate either. The medical model is a BS model. Yeah, we're going to put it down in the toilet where it belongs. (laughs) Plunge it. So conversely, the social model, which is something that Amy and I more hold to be true for ourselves, doesn't see disability as the disabled person's problem or see the disabled person as a tragedy or a burden that has to be fixed and cured, but rather as a societally constructed issue due to social inequality, negative attitudes, and social barriers. So this means the burden isn't on the individual to change, but on society to change to make things better and more equitable for the individual. You hear that, society? No, no, they don't. (laughs) (laughs) They really don't. Basically, the social model says that we don't have to change to mold ourselves and fit society's quote-unquote norm, but rather society should adapt and change to accommodate all people and the spectrum of differences and abilities that we all have. And we are all equal, and this should include equal rights and equal access and equitable changes. I definitely think it's safe to say that mainstream society's view of disability really reflects the medical model way of thinking. And as Brittany and I mentioned in the last episode, when we talked about internalized ableism and we went into more depth about the medical and the social model, we did mention that there are various other models of thinking about disability. And one of those is actually called the tragedy model. So that's what we want to talk a little bit about right now is how people with disabilities are often seen as pitiful, as people to be pitied, and as tragedies, like our lives are tragedies. And we live this tragic, full, tragic 
<clears throat> kind of like my language right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that people with disabilities that were tragic and we have this tragic full. I don't know why I keep wanting to say tragic full. Because it feels good. It's all it right. Does. You, you go we, for it. Okay. We have this tragic full existence that is to be pitied. And I really think that's where these very cruel, hurtful, ableist comments come from. These comments that we, I think many of us have heard that have a disability or that have a chronic illness. We hear these comments from non-disabled or non-chronically ill people. Things like, I could never go through what you go through. I could never follow your diet. I could never stop eating my insert favorite food here. I could never have problems with my mobility like that. Never. I mean, gosh, how would I do things? I could never do that. Wow. Sucks for you, doesn't it? The amount of times I've heard that ending part is a little hurtful. <laughs> or saying things like, I could never lose my ability to X. Or I could never imagine having a period for two months straight. Or I could never imagine being that much level of pain. And the thing is, when people say these phrases, most of the time, they're not saying them with compassion and empathy. They're saying them with like a real disdain and a really like, it's like they're looking down on you when when they say things like this, because it's not this really nice like, oh my gosh, it must be so, so difficult to go through what you go through. It's always this really like, wow, I could never, ever live like that. And then they just like walk away. And you're like, um, uh, okay, well, I do. So well, thanks. <laughs> um, this is my, this is my life. And they always seem to start with, I could never, <laughs> I could never, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, well, okay. But we, but all these people in the world, we are doing it. We are living with these conditions or these impairments or these illnesses. And we're doing it because that's what we do as humans. We learn to adapt. We endure. We do it because we have to, because we have no other choice. And I wish that people could recognize our strength, like our actual strength, instead of just looking at us like we're these pitiful objects. Like, oh, my God, that is just so, so sad that you can't eat pizza. (laughs) Like that is horrible. How on earth do you live? That's the worst thing I could have ever imagined. How do you live with a gluten allergy? Like I just seriously could not even do that. Like I would die if I could not eat my pizza and my bread and my pasta. Like so then the question is like, okay, well, um really you would die if you couldn't eat these foods? Something that I always think of when I hear that language, the I could never, I would die if or I couldn't survive without my I always think about how life can change in an instant and how life, while it can also change in an instant, we also grow old and things change for us and our abilities change and what's capable for us changes. And so at some point, there are going to be things that we used to be able to do or eat or experience that we no longer can. And that could be because of the natural progression of aging. That could be because of an accident. That could just be as a result of life. So to go around saying, I could never do X, Y, or Z, well, there's going to be some point in your life where you can never do that again. There will be some point in everybody's life where we do lose abilities and the ability to do things that we once could do. So when I hear this language, I think about that and how I think about the I could nevers. Someday you may have to 
Well, and it just makes me think like when people use this really strong language, like I would die if X, Y, Z, I could never X, Y, Z. It's because that ability or that thing, that action, that condition, that situation is so important to them, right? Like it is so important. I mean, Brittany and I love to laugh about the food thing, but we get it. Like when I went gluten-free, I also felt like I was going to die when I couldn't eat pizza. Now I'm just like, oh, pizza and I ignore it. But also it's been like 15 years. So a little bit of therapy to get there. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's because we these things are so important to us as human beings. Whatever we, we give value to the different things in our life. And what bothers me is that if, if a person feels like they would die if they didn't have this thing, then why can't we get a little bit of empathy about how we actually don't have this thing? If it would be so difficult for you to have mobility issues or endometriosis or live in chronic pain or a really strict diet or not be able to walk up a flight of stairs or any other XYZ thing that I've heard over a long 19 years at this point of being sick, then what I don't understand is like instead of telling me that you're going to die if you have to have your period for two months, oh my gosh, maybe reflect for a minute and be like, wow, that must be really, really hard to live with. If it would impact my life that much, then it must also be impacting the other person's life that much. It's like a little bit of introspection could be helpful here. <laughs> so lacking. And so we just get the like, oh my God, you're such a, tra- your life is such a tragedy. Yeah, self-awareness for like 99% of society is just like 0%. <laughs> There's just no self-awareness. And that that's really hard because if you said that to them in the moment, yeah, it is that hard for me. They they also wouldn't get it. It's like a knee-jerk reaction to distance themselves from having to feel empathy for you in that moment, which makes it doubly hurtful. And that's not even the most extreme language that Amy and I have heard, the I could nevers and I die if. That's pretty mild in comparison to some of the extreme language that we've heard. And we want to give another warning that we're going to be talking about strong suicidal ideation or thoughts of wanting to harm oneself for the next few minutes. So if you need to fast forward through that, feel free to. But some of the extreme language that we're talking about that Amy and I have experienced is things such as, wow, if I ever lost my mobility like that, I'd just kill myself. If I had to live the way that you do, I would just honestly rather kill myself. This language may seem extreme if you've not been on the receiving end of it, but Amy and I both have. But it's common. And it is common. It is actually quite common. And a lot of people with chronic illness or disabled people talk about this because we have received these kinds of statements. I don't even know what those are. Comments. (laughs) A deluge of vomit coming out of somebody's mouth. Yes. (laughs) Like, oh, I'm sorry. Did you just vomit a little in front of me? You need to reel that word vomit back in. Nobody (laughs) wants it here. Well, the reason we wanted to bring this up and because and warn that it's extreme because it is, is because saying that a person telling a disabled person that they would rather kill themselves than be disabled or would rather kill themselves than be you is such an incredibly impactful in a negative way statement. It's saying that if I had to live the way you had to, I would take an action. I would actually do something about it. And the thing that I would do about it would be to end my life because I couldn't possibly live the way that you live. And that's different than saying, oh, I could never do this or, oh, I'd die if I couldn't eat pasta. Saying that you would actively do something that harms yourself in order to not live like me is such an incredibly and egregiously harmful thing to say to someone. 
I mean, all of the statements are egregiously horrible, but in the ranking of horribleness, definitely the I would die and I would kill myself is so it's just so traumatic for a person who is likely going through a really, really hard time and a person who probably lives with challenges every day that this non-disabled person cannot even fathom to be told that life is not worth living if you have to live in this way. And for me, it's really invalidating and it takes away from the inherent self-worth that we have as human beings because my worth is not wrapped up in my abilities and in what I can do and produce and contribute to society and blah, 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 consumeristic ideas. My, my worth is here as a human being. And we're going to talk about that coming up in a minute. But I did want to have a little story time with Amy. And just to, as a warning, this, I am going to talk now about suicidal ideation. And I want to talk about how I've actually experienced people saying these comments to me and and how negatively they have psychologically affected my mental health. A long time ago, some three years ago, there was a beautiful princess named Amy. Yeah, sure there was. (laughs) (laughs) How do I make this story a little more beautiful? So beautiful, wonderful, fabulous, remarkable, Really, really great, incredible Princess Amy. Who was friends with Queen Brittany. Oh, yeah, that's right. Ooh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay. <laughs> King Brittany, Princess Amy. <laughs> Who was best friends with Brittany, head of the monarch. Brittany, the head royal. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so when Amy, i.e. me, as you know, I got excision surgery three years ago. After excision surgery, I began to have symptoms of mast cell activation syndrome, which I'm still dealing with. And interestingly, even though I'd been living with endometriosis for 16 years prior to my excision surgery, and my symptoms had been very severe and very difficult to live with. And, you know, even in the past, I had had suicidal ideations when it came to endometriosis. I had finally just kind of learned to to manage and make some peace and I with my endometriosis and I made some pretty big strides in my acceptance of endometriosis and adjusting my life to live well with this disease not a quote unquote well that society would deem as well but well that I believed I was living well within the capacities of what I could do with my chronic illness with a body that had that was riddled with chronic illness so my point of that is to say that when I started getting the muscle activation symptoms, they were so drastically different. And it was such a radical life change. And it was very dark. It was a very, very dark time psychologically for me. And I actually began to have some pretty serious suicidal ideations. And I actually became worried about myself. And I became worried that I was going to harm myself and that I was going to follow through on these ideations. And I had to reach out to a mental health professional and I had to get support for myself. So the thing is, as I was going through that, of course, I was communicating with people what was going on for me. I was communicating with my loved ones and my, you know, my friends, my family, and the kind of responses that I was getting back, except for from Brittany, who is the most supportive and compassionate person on this earth who is the best person to talk to ever about any of these things but 
when I was talking to my loved ones, not about my suicidal ideations, I didn't talk about that, but when I was talking about what I was going through, the when I was telling them that I literally became allergic to the world and I was in such a dark place and what I needed was support. What I needed was for people to believe me and to say, oh my gosh, wow, I am so, so sorry that you were going through this. And what I heard from people instead of that was, I don't even know how you could do that. If I was going through what you were going through, I would honestly rather die. I'm like, I am telling you that I'm actually dealing with anaphylactic shock. Like I actually could Could die, have an episode and die. And here I am, people were telling me things like, I don't know how you don't just kill yourself. Really? You had surgery? I thought you were going to get better. And now those things are happening to you. That is like, I just feel so sorry for you. Like your life has been such a mess. And these comments that people are making, and they're not bad people. I mean, these are people I consider my friends and my family, but they just, they're so ableist and they don't know how to respond when you tell them that something really, really horrible is happening to you because they've never gone through anything like that. And they're just, they're like so morbidly curious, right? Like rub, like they're like rubbernecking as if I was some accident on the side of the highway and they're like slow down and was like, let me see if we can see how mangled the car is. And they felt like that's what people were doing to me. And they're saying these things to me like, I don't know how you can live like this. I don't know how you don't just kill yourself. And it's like, I'm actually having suicidal ideation thinking about those very things because I'm in a really dark place psychologically because this is really, really hard. And you're right. It has been 20 years that I've been dealing with this. And you're telling me, I don't know how you don't just end your life. You would end your life if you were going through this. Like, how do you think that that's helping me in any way? That's not helping me. And so I feel really strongly about people using the language. I would die if XYZ. I would kill myself if XYZ because you don't have a clue if people are actually battling with real feelings about their existence. And you come in and you say these really impactful things. And you're not a stranger. I mean, strangers say it too. God, coworkers love to say that kind of stuff. People in a cafe. Oh, honey, why don't you get a muffin? Oh, I'm gluten free. Oh, my God, I would die. if I didn't ask you, lady. I'm just in the line trying to pick up my coffee. Why are you giving me suggestions at all? <laughs> Why are you talking to me? I didn't ask for your opinion. Hush it. Do I have a sign <laughs> on my head that says, say ableist comments to me? No, I don't. <laughs> so, <laughs> so shut it down. Keep it shut. <laughs> for me, what really hurts the most about those types of comments, especially from people that claim to love you. Is that they said it to me, your princess yes, best friend? Yes, I wouldn't. I would. Punch people in the head. <laughs> Go mama bear on them. If they but, say it again, they're going to die. Yeah, they're going to die. No, I'm, that's that's murder. I'm not going to do that. We're just kidding. That is for any people who are listening right now. We totally I'm not going to commit murder. No homicide here. But for me, what is really the, the crux of that, which is the worst, is that saying comments like that is essentially saying to the person, you're better off not being here. You shouldn't be here. It's better off that you were dead than with me right now. Imagine saying that in that way to your friend, saying, oh, I would kill myself if I had endometriosis. I would kill myself if I had mast cell activation syndrome. Is saying, you, eh, you probably should die. You should probably not be here. You're not worth enough to stay alive. That's what, the, that's what that language says in more words. And that's, that's the crux of the problem is that they're saying it about themselves, but really they're also saying it about us. Saying that you would rather kill yourself than experience what I'm living with is saying, 
Yeah, it's probably not worth you surviving with that. You should just probably not. And that's why it's so harmful is because I have so much more to offer the world than what I'm experiencing and and what I'm going through. And so would you in this position. But by saying that I don't even deserve to be here because I'm disabled is the most harmful thing that I could imagine somebody saying and have been said to me. Because it's such a tragedy and you're such a pity. I didn't ask for a pity party and I didn't throw one. You can take those streamers and leave. (laughs) And I will say that I just totally shut down and I think isolated myself for my own protection in this case. Like I still reached out to Brittany and I still talked to my partner and a mental health professional, but I just completely shut everyone else out. I was like, I don't need your unwanted cruel comments. I didn't tell them that. I just like didn't answer the phone anymore. I didn't respond to people on Facebook. I I just like disappeared for three months and and I just didn't tell anyone about what I was going through because it was like you I tried, but you people you can't get it and you make me feel even worse because I now feel like an object of pity. And I'm already working really hard with my own feelings of being a victim and getting trapped in a victim mindset, which I tend to get trapped in pretty easily. Like, why is this happening to me? This isn't fair. And it's not fair. And it's happening to me. And that's not fair. It's happening, though, to a lot of people. And life isn't fair. And I can't expect that it will be or that it would be towards me or towards anyone, And which is sad. You know, in the end, I just had to say I'm taking the reins of this and taking the reins means unfortunately not sharing with a lot of these people what's going on for me because I don't I'm in a really vulnerable, dark moment. And what I need is support. And if you can't give me support, then I don't need your comments, period. And I will say, you know, after telling this whole story about this princess named Amy who suddenly became allergic to the world. I will say that it's been three years now that I've had mass activation syndrome and things have gotten somewhat better by working with my doctor, getting diagnosed, figuring out what was wrong. I mean, when all this was happening, I wasn't diagnosed, so I didn't even know it was mast cell. I was, I, it was just like, what is going on? And I, I don't understand. And it took a lot of runaround and a lot of seeing different doctors to even get a clue and start going in the right direction. So, you know, that feeling of being lost, I think, and that feeling of thinking things would be different for me after excision, and they, and they were and they weren't, all of that compounded to, to lead to those ideations. But I want to say that I'm so happy that I'm still here, and I'm so happy that I hung on and reached out for help, and then I hung on every day, and then I just felt curious about the future and about what could be in store for me, and I hung on because any day, things could have changed for me, and then one day, things did. And now that really, really dark cloud in my life is is something that I look back on and I'm like, okay, I'm going to remember this, that things really do change. And I've changed too. And I've adjusted to living with Marcel when I thought that I was not going to be able to adjust. I was all there in my head. I could never adjust to this. Well, actually, kind of, right? Like, <laughs> I could never live like this. <laughs> Hence the suicidal ideation. But in the end, I can. I can live like this. And it's not the life I expected or the life that I wanted, but it's the one that I have and I'm making the best of it. Another really negative and unfortunate consequence of the tragedy and charity model of disability is because people with disabilities are seen as having such pitiful, tragicful experiences. (laughs) You're welcome. 
because we're so pitiful and tragic and our existence is so pitiful and tragic, in the eyes of the mainstream society, just living our life day to day is considered to be an amazing feat. We're rising above. We're so inspiring and motivational. And in our culture, there's a lot of this, quote unquote, inspiration porn, which I'm sure you've heard something similar to that before. And the term porn is actually used purposefully in this situation for inspiration porn. It's not about sex. No. (laughs) But the term porn is used basically to talk about how it takes one group of people, in this case, disabled people, and objectifies them in order to benefit non-disabled people. So using it as an inspirational pornography is to say that you are using me for yourself, for your own benefit. In this case, my disability and what I'm achieving or accomplishing or what I'm doing, which could be a big task or just a mundane task. Like going to the grocery store. Inspirational. Like standing outside at my mailbox. Inspirational. I can't believe you do all of those things with what you have going on. Oh, little Princess Amy, that's amazing that you do that. Wow. Your life is so tragic. The fact that you can go get your mail every single day. I actually snapped a picture of you at your mailbox with your cane and your mobility device hunched over because your abdomen hurts so bad from your endometriosis with really, really greasy hair because you haven't showered in three weeks because showering is really, really hard work. And then what I did was actually showed it to my partner and I was like, look at our neighbor. We need to make her look, Instagram famous for look how amazing. at this disabled, tragic, Ugh. pitiful existence. And what is your excuse? Our mail is piling up outside, partner. What is your excuse? If they can go to the grocery store with all of those obstacles that they have to overcome, then what's your excuse? Let's use that as a model with which to live our lives. If they can do it, then why can't we? Can Excuse I, me while I barf in the corner. Can I say that at our workplace, one of the high up leaders actually did inspiration porn and he had a Yeah, he did. He had a meme. And it was, I won't go into the details. It was a disabled man and he had a visible disability. And then underneath it said, what's your excuse? And then he all told us he hoped that this would motivate us to work harder in our jobs, which wasn't even anything to do with our jobs. Like (laughs) what this person was doing was the most mundane thing. I think they were like hiking outside going for a walk (laughs) going for a walk and then what we do is like customer service was like what does this dude have to do with what what is this the inspiration porn i have to inspire you people were really upset and i was like i will write our one of our very high ups and i did i wrote the high up exec and i explained to this high up exec what inspiration porn was and i said as a person with a disability i you know i want you to know how upsetting this is and how you've objectified This person that you don't even know that person. And you've been all like, look at this person should be our motivation every time. In order to get your team to make you more revenue. That's that's the every time that you don't pick up a call within three rings and you pick it up in four. I want you to think of that man walking outside and be like, look what he's accomplished. What's your excuse? Minion workers. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, when you put it like that, it sounds ridiculous. Yeah, but they don't notice that. But that's the truth, right? I mean, we see It it everywhere. And I am tired of it. So I do want to say that a lot of people have called me an inspiration. I'm so inspirational. Those words have never passed my lips. (laughs) (laughs) 
You're fired as my best friend. Okay. I deserve that. <laughs> Getting a new one. <laughs> Good luck. But all the time, people call me inspirational. They're like, oh, my God, Amy is so inspirational. Amy really inspires me. Okay, that I'm saying that with a little bit of sarcasm, of course, but... They mean it genuinely. <laughs> but people have called me an inspiration many times, and they're usually, like, people that I don't know very well. It's usually acquaintances, friends of friends, coworkers, supervisors, like, people who don't, who are not, like, in within my personal life, you know, that don't, like, actually know me very well. They just, like, see me, and then they're like, oh, wow. She walks the copy machine all hunched over from her pain, slow as a turtle. She's so inspiring for being here. Yeah, I got to pay the bills, <laughs> Karen, and, okay? And the work is not giving me accommodation to work from home. That's the only so, reason I'm walking hunched yeah, over in the corridor. That's why I'm here, even though I should be laying in bed, okay? <laughs> this is not an equitable situation, Karen. That's why I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm not here for your inspiration. I'm here because I needed a copy at the copy machine. Stop looking at me and just do your work, please. Just look look away and do your work. Then I'll be happier. <laughs> or also, like, especially in work situations where we have to go out for a work lunch or every blue moon we have like a mandatory happy hour for mingling stuff like that that I never want to go to by the way and sometimes I'm just like oh I'm sick and I don't go <laughs> but sometimes I have gone Amy and I are the epitome of knowing how to do the Irish goodbye the Irish exit where we come for like 10 minutes and we're like Hi, everyone. You've seen our face. And then we oh, leave with no one noticing. Where, where's my boss? Hey, boss, how was your day today? Okay, I've talked, chatted to the boss. And, and we um, leave now, baby. <laughs> we have perfected that because we have to do it all the time. <laughs> the smell of the food is too much. The hot sun is too much. I now feel like I'm going to puke in these bushes. I need to leave. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, especially at these events where there's food involved and everyone's ordering and then it comes to your turn, you're like, oh, no, I don't want anything. And that's like, <gasps> I can't believe you're not going to order a beer I or can wine. share with you. Do you want to try this? Do you want a bite? Do you want to sip? Oh, and then they're like, but it's on the company, you know? And I'm like, yeah, well, if I could eat, I would eat off the company's dime. <laughs> if I could use their money, I would, but I can't. <laughs> well, since I didn't eat, can I get that $22 into my paycheck this month or how? Could you hire a private chef for me to make exactly what I want <laughs> to spec and I get to watch them do it? Because then I will order. <laughs> but so my point is that there are situations where they see my disability, like where my invisible disability becomes visible, you know. So in these situations, they see my diet and then I usually explain like, why are you in? Why don't you worry about it? So then I'm just like, hey, I have this illness, blah, blah, blah. Or they see me, you know, passed out in the bathroom or, you know, there's been a lot of situations at work where they've seen me do things that I would have rather had them not see. But, you know, work accommodations are hard to get at times. So many people have called me inspirational. And at the beginning, I was really flattered by this. I was like, you know, walking the copy machine that I come back, they're like, wow, it's just so inspiring that you're here every day in spite of your disease and you're working. And I just, I could never do that. And you're just so inspiring to me. And on the outside, it does sound really, it sounds nice, right? And I especially think that for many of us, like living with endometriosis, living with illnesses that have been stigmatized, that are taboo, that are invisible, that are considered by society shameful, even though they're not, we've been dismissed for so long and we've been invalidated for so long that for me, when I heard people say that I'm so inspiring, I was like, oh my gosh, people are recognizing how hard my 
my, you know, life can be at sometimes, how hard our lives can be. And that made me feel all like, ooh, warm and gooey inside. And I will say that I truly, truly believe that we are inspirational. Our courage and our strength and our resiliency as people with chronic illness, as people who are disabled, it is absolutely incredible. And I am actually inspired every single day by people that I meet on social media and through this podcast and within the endometriosis and chronically ill community. But I feel like my inspiration that all of you bring to me and that possibly I, you know, Brittany and I could bring to you, that is authentic, genuine inspiration. Because we know, because we have so many shared experiences and shared challenges, and we know what we live through. Like, you all know what it's like to live with endometriosis. Not the same way that I live with it, because we're all individuals and we're all unique. But the underlying core of what it's like... (laughs) to live in an ableist society, to live with a disease that is just so ridiculously painful, to live with a disease that ravages our lives, we all know what that feels like. And so we see the way that another person is handling it, another person is living with their illness, and when I see that, that inspires me to try to live better in my own battles. And it is like a role model for me to say, wow, how am I handling it? And how do I want to handle it? And not put myself down, but to say, like, can I live differently with this? And I think that kind of inspiration is is powerful and it's important. But the inspiration that Britt and I are addressing right now is not that beautiful, authentic inspiration. The inspiration Britt and I are talking about right now is this, oh, my God, you're so inspiring with your mobility issues. And then they just, like, turn and they start talking about, another subject like a fashion magazine or their fingernails or something you're like you don't even know me you, you literally just saw me walking hunched over and now you're all like oh my god you're my inspiration and i've been so objectified yeah it's the objectification of treating me like i'm not a real person i just exist to serve you and it's the it's the exploitation it's the inspiration wrapped up in their pity That's where that their inspiration. The only reason you're giving me any time of day is because it serves you to be inspired by me because you feel so bad for me. And also you see me as so pitiful and tragic and you're like, oh, my God, you made me feel so much better about my life. Oh, my gosh. How many people have said that to you as well when they're like, wow, I was feeling really sad today. And then I saw you pass down the bathroom floor (laughs) and I was like, I feel Uh, so much my life's not like that. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, at I, least I'm not you. At least I'm not you. <laughs> Honestly, like, trust me, I'd rather be passed out on the bathroom floor than covered in my own vomit <laughs> than be you over yeah. here, ableist. Well, I think objectification is the perfect way to put it because what it does is it tells me that I don't exist as a person with a full spectrum of experiences. And all I exist as is something that you can get something from. I don't exist as a whole human with my own range of emotions and feelings and experiences and struggles and challenges and triumphs. I just exist to serve you, to inspire you. I'm only an object. I'm only a tool. And that's the most disgusting thing to think of another person as only existing to serve you in some kind of way. Well, there's no compassion behind those statements of you're such an inspiration or what's your excuse or if, well, if you can, if that person can do it, then I should be able to do it. It's like there's no actual recognition of the range of feelings that go into having this impairment or this condition, the the full human experience, like Brittany said. It's just this vapid, empty, like, oh, my gosh, you made me feel so much better or 
you really help me motivate myself. It's just there's nothing behind it. You know, I think there's a really big difference in someone saying something like, like what Brittany may say to me, which is, go Oh, Brittany. is this a hem? You want me to say something yeah. nice about say you? Say something about Princess Amy. Okay, Princess. Whose eyes can't open at four in the morning. In, <laughs> at four in the morning. <laughs> okay. Getting to know you has been such a gift to me because I have been able to see an example of an incredibly strong human being that deals with their unique challenges in such a way that it causes me to be able to see my own challenges from a new perspective. And I'm really grateful that you allowed me into that part of your life. And it does inspire me that I will be able to overcome my challenges as well. Everyone shed a tear. (laughs) Thank you, Brittany. And as I've gotten to know you, you inspire me too. Yeah, that's the other version that we don't want. (laughs) That's version two that we're going to throw away. Wow, it really inspires me that you get out of bed every morning and just, like, do regular things. Wow. Inspires me, too. That is just so (laughs) inspirational. Every time I'm like, how will I go to work today? I'm like, ooh, ooh, is Brittany at work? And I check my online apps, (laughs) my team's message, and I'm like, she is. I'm so inspired. Now I shall go to put I on, shall do the work. I, I put have on no my <laughs> super superhero cape inspired by disabled people. And I'm like, yes, I too uh. shall go forth in this world. If disabled people can go forth in this they world. They can lift me up, the non-disabled person, then that'll be great for me. For me only, for me. <laughs> yeah, one is okay and good and helpful and can make the other person feel seen and validated. And the second one we can throw away in the trash. <laughs> And we do also want to point out that if being called an inspiration is something that brings you joy and brings you empowerment and makes you feel strong and good emotions and good feelings, then that's spectacular. This is not saying that nobody should ever call you inspirational. And if people call you inspirational, you shouldn't like it. Well, no, an inspiration is important. Yes. And that's why if that is a good feeling for you, then that's totally great. That's awesome. I'm so glad that people find you inspiring and that that brings you joy to be told that. Thank you, because it does bring me joy when it's genuine. <laughs> yes. When it's when I'm not being objectified, then I actually I actually do like when people say I'm inspiring. Yeah. And, and we're talking more about others who say it to us by putting an identity on us. So when we choose and say, yes, I'm comfortable with being called inspirational, that's our choice. And that's but great. But I don't want my face plastered on a poster. <laughs> I don't want a prin- inspiration of the century. Princess Amy hunched over at the copy machine with her gloves on because she's allergic to everything and can't touch anything yes. anymore with her sunglasses on because the fluorescents are too bright. They are too bright. Like, I don't want me and my issues and I'm like wearing Broadcast. a diaper, you know, for my- <laughs> can you imagine what I would look like on a poster? Wait, can we just stop for a minute? I would definitely be bringing a diaper for all the blood and all the incontinence. And I would definitely be hunched over. And I would probably be holding my vagina because I'd be trying to keep my pee in. Because when I'm alone and I have to pee, I do like grab and hold until I can get to the toilet. Because sometimes it just slips out. Who's with me? Thanks, Icy. (laughs) Who's with me? I do the leg squeeze. uh... Yeah, but then how do you walk? Oh, I waddle. The thigh squeeze with the waddle. I have nice big thighs, so mine help like a plug, you know? Okay, yeah. I like I like squeeze it shut with my fingers. I like squeeze my labia like, shut. It. And then I just like run to the toilet. So that would be me. I'd be like waddling the toilet. I would have a rat's nest in my hair because I only shower like once a month because it's so exhausting. Really dark circles under my eyes, which I actually was born with really dark circles. I've had them since I was a baby. But they would be darker than ever. And I'd have really sallow 
skin. But I would also have like a full body rash from the hives of the mass activation syndrome. And, that, and there would just be like a trail of blood drops leading up to the copy machine. And I'd be weeping. And then underneath it would be like, if Amy can do it. If inspirational Amy can do it, what's your excuse? <laughs> I love it. Let's get that printed. We're going to change the podcast logo. That will be the new podcast cover what's art. What's your excuse? And then our worst moments ever. <laughs> actually, I probably wouldn't even be standing up. I'd be like crawling. Yeah. I'd be laid that in would a corner actually be somewhere. more accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Using all my copies from the copy machine as a pillow. Yeah, naturally. <laughs> I will say that one time I passed out. One time I passed out from pain and I was in the bathroom and I really need a pillow. So I took my sneaker off and I used my sneaker as a pillow. And then when they found me, I was. <laughs> that's an inspirational ingenuity, really. Honestly, like that's inspirational to me. Like that in that moment, you were so innovative that you were like, ooh, soft, spongy sneaker. Instant pillow. Like, wow. Bravo. Bravo. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I really do deserve the title. I think one of the reasons for me why being treated as an inspiration is particularly harmful, again, for me personally, is that it pigeonholes me into this this one identity that I only exist to be an inspiration. And what that does is it limits me. So it like limits what I'm allowed to be. It limits what I, who I exist for. It limits what I'm capable of. And it limits how I'm allowed to feel about myself and about my own illness and about my own ability. I feel like there's a lot of pressure in society that we have to always be strong and we have to always be brave and we have to always be overcoming, as we just spoke about. And be positive, too. And be the pinnacle of attempting and trying and working really hard. Be the snowcap on top of the very, very high mountain. (laughs) The high mountain of insurmountable (laughs) tasks. (laughs) Putting us into that one little puzzle piece doesn't give us the space to decide what we are and how we feel and who we want to be without strings attached to it. So while some people may say that feeling your feelings and grieving and processing and feeling sadness or fear is weakness, I think that Amy and I both would say that, no, that's not correct, that it's equally as strong and courageous to face those feelings as it is to face the other challenges in our lives. The way that we process what we're experiencing is up to us. It's our choice. And when feeling things like defeat or grief or sorrow, we're told that feeling our feelings is a negative because having feelings has kind of been demonized in our society. So then where does it leave me if I have those feelings? That's what it comes down to, right? Like if I have feelings of feeling defeated and feeling angry and defeated and sad and all these feelings that come wrapped up with living with a chronic illness or living with a disability. There's such a range of feelings that we can feel. And if I'm not supposed to feel a certain range of feelings and I feel them, then it's like, where does that leave me? Exactly. And I think that's something that our society does that is also detrimental to us is try to push us through those feelings. So you're not allowed to think about what does it mean that I feel these things? Society tells you, no, you you have to work through those. You have to get over them. You have to get over your feelings of grief and sorrow and loneliness and sadness. Just keep working at it and just push through it. Push through it. You got, no, you can't spend time there. You have to get over it. Well, I want to point out that first you said work through them, which I think Brittany and I agree with is working through them and processing. But what society says is not work through them. Society says get over them, overcome them, 
work past them. Like, don't give yourself space to feel them. Just don't feel them. Shut them down. Mm -hmm. Don't let them exist. Put them in the bottle and bury it at the bottom of the ocean. Woo! (laughs) Bottle those feelings up, kids. (laughs) Then if you have mobility problems like us, you're never going to get to that bottle again because you're never going to be able to swim down there. Nope. (laughs) They are gone. (laughs) So, Brittany, give us some examples of statements that we may have heard in our own lives pushing us to be a certain way and overcome our disabilities, overcome our chronic illness. You know, you can do anything if you believe or try hard enough or work at it or put your mind to it. You can do anything if you believe, if you work hard, you try hard, you put your mind to it, you can believe. That was inspirational. (laughs) Inspirational for me to get earplugs. Well, I just I just feel like all that, like, if you just believed in it, then it would happen. That's very like... Just manifest the cure to your incurable <laughs> disease, baby. Put your mind to it the and mind's you'll be a powerful able to accomplish thing. anything. Just visualize yourself being whole and better. Because that's what you want, right? I'm going to tell you that you want to be whole and better without you getting to decide that for yourself. Visualize that. And if you dream it, you can be it. <laughs> How about... Don't let your illness or your disability hold you back. Aren't these all very, like, blaming, right? Very patronizing. Like, the first one is, like, you, you ha- you're not trying hard enough. You're not believing. You're not putting your mind to it. And the second one is, like, don't let it hold you back. Like, okay, yes, I'm standing outside holding on to endometriosis as if there's a big wall in front of me and I'm just like clinging to it and I can't move forward because this big wall I've built is just holding me back. I'm like running and I'm trying to like run through the wall, but I can't because it's made of rock and it's a big rock called endometriosis. Like, don't let it hold you back. (laughs) Don't let you hold you back. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I thought that my debilitating fatigue and pain that caused me to lay in bed the whole weekend because I literally could not get out of bed or even roll over or sneeze without screaming. But I really thought that was what was holding me back. I didn't realize it was myself no. and my attitude. Yeah, see, they don't oh, they don't have those problems, okay, so they I just assume they they assume that, you know, their lived experience is also yours. So since they don't have anything like a disability holding them back, then there's no excuse. Oh, yeah, it's my lack of positive thought. Yeah, or you may hear from them, don't use your disability as an excuse. Have you seen your own motivational poster of yourself? <laughs> There with the rat, that ratty hair and the eye circles down your boobs and the hunch and the blood all over and the diaper on and holding their vagina, trying to keep your pee inside. <laughs> Haven't you seen your own inspirational disability poster where you said, what's your excuse? I just point at my poster and I'm like, that's, that's my, my excuse. <laughs> that's my excuse. <laughs> and it's not an excuse. It's a reason, you jerk. It's reality. <laughs> oh, I love this one. Don't let your illness stop you from reaching your full potential. Wow. Well, I'm sorry. Maybe this is my full potential for what me and my body are capable of. Not the full potential that you think that I can reach, but the full potential that I have reached, that I've worked very, 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 very hard to reach, that I am proud of. And then you come in and you're like, oh, don't let you limit your potential. You're not at your full. You know what I want to tell you? Okay. Oh, complaining time with Amy. <laughs> That's right. 
I want to say for a minute, I cannot tell you how I have these certain loved ones. Well, they're called loved ones. Do we love them? I don't know, but I have. We're obligated to love them. <laughs> the obligatory loved ones. I squints as saying this. <laughs> Beady eyes comes out, need eye drops. But the loved ones in my life that say things like, gosh, you're really smart and you should really have a better paying job, which seems like it would be a compliment, right? But it's not because I have said to this certain person many, many times that I am thrilled that I even hold a job. I have now held a full-time job for eight years. Hold on. I want to give myself an applause. Eight years. Having a full-time job, working at all was unfathomable to me when I was in my early 20s because of my fatigue, because of my pain, because of my endometriosis symptoms. And I also know that many of you are not able to hold a job. And it is devastating. It is, it is really hard to be in that situation. And I was in that situation for several years. And I feel really happy and proud that I found something that works for me. And no, it's not my top choice working in customer service. And no, it's not well paid. But you know what? It's something that I have been able to maintain through all the ups and downs and all the challenges of having chronic illness and having disability. And I can 100% tell you that if I had been in a more demanding job that had required more of me, more thinking power, more consistent energy, I would have lost my job when, when I had my excision. I would have lost my job when the mass cell onset came on because, wow, I've been a little bit of a mess in my job. I mean, I'm a really good worker, but, you know, I'm under my desk working. I'm passing out in the bathroom working. I'm throwing up in a garbage can working. Um, thankfully, now I'm working from home with the pandemic and what a life changer that has been. But I, I quit teaching because I could not maintain the energy and the schedule that I had to follow and the standing and the, you know, constant, quote unquote, being on in the classroom, like having to put off that energy and that performance. And I had to quit one of my huge passions and my huge dreams. What felt like settling at first into this office job now feels like, okay, this is, this is working for me. And I feel proud of that. And it is so ableist to come at me with these expectations and these standards of what people should be doing in their lives and say things like, oh, you're not meeting your full potential because you could be in a better job than you are. It's insulting. And you're really ignoring my lived experience and my reality. So don't give job advice, obligatory loved one who doesn't listen to this podcast, but should. Another favorite phrase, I use favorite here as a joke, that I have heard and that Amy has heard is the, well, X person has the same disability, the same chronic illness, the same problem as you. And look what they've achieved. Wow, let me applaud them. Ooh, they're my inspiration. Look what they've achieved. Now, here's, here's what you actually say. So every other non-disabled person, you know, there's like billionaires in the world, doctors, Nobel Peace <laughs> Prize winner. What's your excuse? <laughs> oh, wow. I see people with the exact same abilities as you, and they're in much higher paying 
more demanding jobs with better titles? What's your excuse? Why aren't you? How come you haven't achieved what peers your age have achieved? Yeah. Or even people younger than you. (laughs) Just turn it back on them at this point. (laughs) I love that. I never even thought of that. It's like we could play the comparison game all day. Yeah. You sure you want to start that game? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The last thing we want to mention, which is not the last one that we'll ever hear in our lives or probably even in the next hour, (laughs) if we're out in public, is. Don't let your illness, don't let your disability get to you. You just need to be positive. Don't let it get to Ugh. you. Don't let the chronic pain Ugh. and the fatigue and the loss of your hopes and your dreams and apparently your really, really crappy job that you're working that you're actually really proud that you have that job, but apparently everyone else is telling you that you're a loser because you have that job. Don't let all of the things that are happening, all that medical trauma and gaslighting and dismissal and the fact that no one even doctors don't even know the definition of your disease and the fact that care is so inaccessible. Don't let that get to you. How can you let that get to you? God. Just slap a smile on your face, you, you are, silly goose. You are so weak. Don't let it get to you. I don't let my problems get to me. Don't let your problems get to you. These sayings are so ableist. They are so, so ableist. And I cannot stand them. You know, and the truth is, in actuality, is that many of us do overcome a lot with our chronic illness and with our disability every single day, but it should not be expected of us. And I think for me and for Brittany, the problem is in the expectations. Because when people say, don't let it hold you back, or don't let it stop you, or don't let it limit you. First of all, it clearly shows that they have no idea of the reality that we're living every single day because when we literally cannot get out of bed because of a flare, it's stopping us, right? Like, how are you going to say that it's not going to stop me, especially when we're living in a very ableist world where we can't get accommodations half the time? How many tests, work deadlines, or how many things have we missed because the people in charge could not be flexible with us, could not give us the accommodations that we clearly needed to succeed? There are barriers in place that are physical, that are non-physical, that hold people with chronic illness and disabilities back. In addition to the impairments that we have, that the reason why it's called a disability is because the definition is it substantially limits one or more major life activity. So having a disability and having chronic illness It can stop us. And we know that living with this disease, living with endometriosis. We have seen it upend so many of our dreams and of our goals. And we've had to modify our goals or adapt different dreams, go after different things in life. Because physically, we are not capable. Or like I said, the systems in place are so ableist and inaccessible and don't accommodate us that we're not able to do it. If we want to go to university, if we want to go to our local community college, but they don't offer online classes and we can't get there in person because of our disease, then how are we going to go to that college? Like, how? All the positive thinking in the world is not going to change the ableist system that is in place. I mean, yeah, we can write petitions and we can try and maybe we can get that change. But a lot of times we can't. How hard have Brittany and I been fighting for work accommodations? that we just can't seem to get no matter how sick we are. And all these other people across the world in the same situation. Using dismissive phrases like, 
if you just tried harder, if you just believed more, if you just manifested that, if you just had a more positive attitude, all of those things don't change the fact that things are not accessible for me or for other people. It does not mean that, oh, all of a sudden, all of the inequalities and inequities in the world just disappeared because I believed that they weren't there. That's not how that works. If I use a mobility device or I use a wheelchair and there's no ramp on the building and it has stairs, I can't get into that building whether or not I believe hard enough or I'm positively thinking enough. If I have bowel urgency and frequency and pain with bowel movements, trying hard to not think so much about the pain isn't going to make them stop hurting. My neighbor with the same disease who overcame theirs Whatever that means, yeah. by the way. And which, whatever, whatever degree, overcame that means. Yeah, and there's a big difference between I have something severely and I have something mildly, but you know, it's a whole different conversation. But my no, Brittany, it's all the same. We're all the same. <laughs> We're all the same. I, I know someone who doesn't really have endometriosis. My symptoms, brother's sister's cousin's wife's soul. uncle's sister's brother has endometriosis, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, my my neighbor or brother's sister's mother's cousin's uncle's father's daughter's child. However far I went, dogs, having... <laughs> dogs, daughters, <laughs> dogs, bowl of water. <laughs> has endometriosis. No, and the bacteria living in the water has oh, endometriosis. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> if those bacteria could overcome it, then why can't you? Let's get them on a motivational poster. <laughs> if those bacteria can hold a job, what's your excuse? <laughs> they overcame their endometriosis. Deciding not to use my illness as an excuse doesn't mean that a video without captions is just magically going to get captions on them. That's not how that works. A positive attitude doesn't do squat to fix any of the challenges that I'm facing because of society, because they are part of society's problems, not mine. Having a positive mindset, having a healthy mindset, having a forward-looking, having a working-on-it mindset, like in a good way, and saying, I want to see things from a new perspective to help empower myself, is something that in mine and Amy's opinion, we should all work for. But what that doesn't mean is excusing things, making excuses for things, and seeing the world through rose-colored glasses 100% of the time. Having a positive outlook is something that we choose for ourselves, not something that is thrust upon us. Say, if you were just positive, you wouldn't complain about the fact that this building doesn't have an elevator and you can't walk up seven flights of stairs to your office every day. Having a positive mindset doesn't fix that. But having a positive mindset is something that is individual and we get to define what it means to have a positive mindset or a different perspective or however we want to label it. Yeah, I mean, I think positive attitude and positive mindset has just become really like, and there's just so much, there's just so much misconception around it. I also think the word healthy and health is really, like, I also think the word healthy has been kind of really diluted as well by the wellness community and the whole like wellness culture of you know you can just get better if you drink celery juice so I also think the whole idea of healthy has been really warped but for me like I believe that for me personally having a healthy mindset towards my illness or having a good relationship with my endometriosis and my disability and my life is one where I don't see myself as a burden I don't see myself as a victim. 
one where I feel empowered to advocate for myself, to advocate for what I need, to ask for accommodations, even if they might get denied by those ableist people in charge, but to ask for them and to honor when I, my body needs to rest and to not push myself to the edge, to push myself a little, because of course I want to, I want to, you know, I want to reach my full potential, that I define what my full potential is, but not push myself like I used to push myself where I would collapse and be totally emotionally distraught and feel like I was just running, 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 trying to keep up with society. That's not what I mean. And I don't push myself in that way anymore. For me, having a healthy mindset is working through my trauma, acknowledging, realizing how much trauma I hold from my experiences and getting the support that I need. And I think that having that, whatever you want to call it, that positive relationship or that healthy relationship, that healthy mindset that we define for ourselves that can look different for every single one of us, Brittany and I strongly believe that that can 100% improve, actually improve our life and our relationship with our illness. And it's, and it's not going to take away health inequality, and it's not going to take away inaccessibility, but it's going to help the way that I feel about my life. I think one of the worst things that society does to us, and by society I mean as a whole and also our friends and family and coworkers, acquaintances, anybody that we interact with, either deeper or more casually, one of the worst things that they do to us is hold us to impossible standards. And when I say impossible standards, I mean Standards that I may not even be looking to meet or I may not be able to meet. Ableist standards. Yes, that I may not choose to meet that would never be met by my body or by my choices in life. The standards that they hold us to are their quote-unquote normal standards or their own personal standards. And even among people who are non-disabled, everybody's standard for success is different. So it's really silly, but they do this to us. And a lot of the standards in society are not even quote unquote normal standards. They're like superhuman yes. standards. Like you have to be a super person and you have to work and then take care of your family and then have pets and have Have plants. two and a half kids and a white picket fence and a billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and also get out into nature, but then not use your phone too much and then do exercise. Like there's just the, the expectation of how we should live is very ableist and also very difficult to achieve even for people who are not disabled. Yeah, it's very singular. It's like the, you know, the one vision that one person had and now everybody regurgitates that vision as if it were their own. Everybody gets to decide what their expectation for their own life is. Everyone gets to decide what standards they want to try to achieve. If you're disabled, you don't have no standards. You don't have no goals. That's some people think that. That's not the case. I have my own. They just differ from what you think that they should be for me. And there's nothing wrong with that. No. And you don't get to decide what my standards are. My standard could be, wow, I got up within 30 minutes today instead of having to lay there for an hour this morning. That could be my standard where your standard is, I get up at 5 a.m. and I have a coffee and then I do sunrise yoga and then I do some work and then I do the budgeting and then I sweep the floor. That's great for you, but my body can't do that. Our standard is not the same for how we feel a successful morning went. And also that's why it's called my standard. Here, yes. listen to the word. Listen to the adjective. My. My. My standard. M-Y. My standard. Your standard. 
You see how it's not like the standard? The standard, yeah. Our standard, the world standard. It's not. It's and, all individual. And society likes to act like it's the standard. You listen to any of these people who have made it, quote unquote, successful people. And they're all like, wake up at 5 a.m. and I do quiet meditation. Like they, they all have the same thing that they all do, which is good for them, which is fine. But the thing is, is that you can do what you want to do. You don't have to be held to somebody else's standard because there is no the standard. As much as society likes to tell us that that is the standard for success. That's not the case. And one of the most freeing things that Amy and I ever realized together, thankfully, is that we don't have to be held to those standards because we thought we did. And we were feeling so inadequate with every little failure, quote unquote failure, to meet those standards. I have a lot of issues getting up in the morning. It's physically and mentally hard for me. But I felt like everybody gets up at 6 a.m. And they all have these productive, amazing days. That's not how my body works. And I thought I must have been the most lazy, complacent, useless human because I couldn't do that. And everybody else can. I mean, I would definitely go with lazy, but maybe not complacent. <laughs> hey, lazy equals really effective and productive, okay? <laughs> lazy people find the quickest and easiest way to do a task. So you know what? It's a it's a superpower to me. <laughs> work hard, work smarter, not harder. Exactly. I am the example of that. No, Brittany's not lazy. That's why I can make that joke because it's not true. <laughs> it's not true. That's the thing is I I took that on as an identity because I thought it was true because society said if you don't wake up in the morning, you're lazy. And for Amy, conversely, had similar. Well, because in their mind, it's like you're lounging in bed all comfortable. Yeah, oh, like I wish. you don't want to get out of bed, and then you're gonna take someone's your... feeding me grapes by hand, <laughs> and I'm being fanned by a pool boy. Like that's nice. <laughs> More like you're laying there writhing in pain. You're like, well, I did not fall asleep all night, so I think I'm gonna lay in bed as long as possible yeah. before I actually have to physically get out of mm -hmm. bed. Because the sooner I get out of bed and start my day, the sooner I'm gonna collapse later on in the evening. Yep. And I want to try to keep going. For me, it's the sooner I get up, the sooner I'm going to have to have that like 30 minutes of really painful bowel movement. I'm just trying to put it off as long as possible. <laughs> so everybody's standard is different. And for Amy, she had similar things where society told her that she had to be this productive member with a high paying job and and do this and do that. And not doing that felt like a failure when instead it was. But that's just not my standard. That's not for me. Holding the job is my standard. And I have accomplished that. So I should be able to be proud of that rather than being told that my standard was not sufficient. It was inadequate. It wasn't good enough. Benchmarks like these are ableist when it comes to holding people with disabilities to the quote unquote norm of standards. They're there is ableist. no norm. There is no norm. There's no norm. So holding my benchmark to a non-disabled person's benchmark, it's just ableist. My expectations of myself or how I honor myself, or how I empower myself, or how I see myself, and how I feel about myself. I do what my body allows me to do, and I trust that my body tells me what it's capable of. And learning to trust myself is an accomplishment on its own. One of the biggest accomplishments, in my opinion. Learning to not hold myself to impossible, made-up, fake, somebody else's standards. Ableist! I've become proud of myself. I'm proud of myself for what I have accomplished and the standards that I have set for myself that I have met. And doing those things and learning to trust myself and empower myself and believe myself and have compassion and confidence of my, in myself have given my life so much meaning and so much joy. 
Put Brittany up on a poster. <laughs> What's your excuse? And no, and then underneath we'll say, learn to trust yourself. Oh, that should be I a would really love nice that. poster. That'd be an inspirational poster. Except it's just Amy's cats cuddling. Learn to trust yourself. Okay. <laughs> I really like what you said about how when you set the standards and expectations for your life, then that gives your life meaning. I think with everything that we've talked about today, with the fact that, you know, there's this tragedy model of disability and the medical model of disability and this idea that people with disabilities are tragicful, they're tragic and pitiful and, you know, because their existence is so miserable, then they're just inspirational when they leave the house and do something, quote unquote, normal, routine. I feel like with chronic illness and with disability, we're often put in this box that with disability, life is not worth living. Or with chronic illness, life is just miserable. And it is hard. It is hard with chronic illness. And it can be really hard with disability because we do face unique sets of challenges in a world that is ableist and highly inaccessible in so many ways. But we are navigating our challenges every single day and we're processing them and we are adjusting to them and we are working through them. And those are our journeys to take, our individual journeys. And they're not anyone else's journeys to comment on or tell us how we feel, especially non-disabled people or non-chronically ill people who really just don't understand what we're going through and what we face every single day. And I really like the movement that I've been seeing on social media with the hashtag disabled joy because people with chronic illness and people with disabilities we still have our moments of joy and having joy doesn't mean that all of the grief and the suffering and the difficulties go away it doesn't mean that my endometriosis went away it doesn't mean that our disability went away it doesn't mean that you know one cancels out the other and if i have a disability i can't have joy and if i have joy then that must mean I don't have a disability. And I feel like society views them as mutually exclusive. Like, oh, disabled people don't have joy because they're so, you know, miserable and pitiful. And that's not true. And sure, there are moments when we don't have joy. Like I can think over this week, there are plenty of moments that have been absolutely miserable for me that I don't want to relive, but I probably will relive because I have a chronic illness. So my symptoms tend to repeat themselves <laughs> day after day after day. So I'm probably going to live the same thing tomorrow and next week and next month. But it's for me to say when I'm having grief or when my life feels miserable to me, not for someone else to tell me that my life is miserable or that my joy is not allowed. Or if I show my joy, it's like, oh, my God, you overcome your illness. It's like, no, but I'm learning to manage having the grief of illness and having the joy at the same time. I'm learning to hold space for both. And I personally am trying to find and trying to explore in my life how to have more disabled joy and how to have more joy with chronic illness. Because it is really hard to live every single day with endometriosis, with fibromyalgia, with mast cell activation syndrome, with interstitial cystitis, with IBS, with GERD, with POTS, with all the things that so many of us live with, multiple things that I'm sure so many of you live with. But the joy in life is still there. And finding our way back to it is a beautiful journey, a hard journey, a, a really challenging journey, and a journey that I'm on right now. But we get to decide if we want to go on this journey to have joy. 
we get to decide what that journey looks like for us when we go on it. What winding road we go down here and there, we get to decide what our journey with chronic illness and with disability looks like for us. And if someone tries to tell us and fit us in a box that this is your identity with disability or this is what you're feeling with disability, it's like, you don't know what I'm feeling. You don't have a clue. Even if you are also disabled, you don't have a clue what I'm feeling. We're all feeling different things. We're all in different moments in our paths and in our lives and with our experiences. So we just wanted to talk about all of this today, about all of this ableism and these mindsets and these attitudes and how we're very often put in a box and told what to feel. And we also really want to make it clear that Brittany and I are not telling you to feel anything the same that we talked about in this episode. So if you are in a place where you're like, disabled joy, are you kidding me? Joy with endometriosis? You must be joking. We respect that and we respect you and we respect where you are. And that's okay. If that's where you are, then that is where you are. If you're angry right now, so fiercely angry, then that is okay. Whatever you're feeling is real and is valid. And it's part of your journey. And the way that we feel changes and evolves over time. We change and we evolve over time. No one can tell us that what we feel is right or wrong because oftentimes what we're feeling is just part of the process of adjusting to our chronic illness and trying to live our life well, whatever that looks like for us. Our conversation around ableism is so huge and there's so much to cover. So we are going to continue the conversation with different topics in our next episode. Ableism part two. Yes. (laughs) So in the next episode, we will talk more about language and ableist language. We'll also talk about wellness culture and the expectations of wellness influencers and culture and what all of that means and more. So we're so much more. Yes. (laughs) We really appreciate you spending some time with us today. This is a really heavy topic and a topic that affects so many of us in our community on a daily, hourly, minutely basis in so many aspects of our lives, dealing with medical professionals, friends, family our own inner thoughts. Strangers. Yes. (laughs) Worst of all. (laughs) Inspirational posters, internet (laughs) memes, gifts. Mm. The list goes on. So we appreciate you spending the time with us and giving some of your mental space to listen to this topic and to self-reflect. And hopefully this open conversation has given you something to think about in terms of your own identity, how you define your own goals and your standards. And spending some time to consider what disabled joy or chronic illness joy may look like for you. We'd love to leave you with a question. What is something ableist that you would love to see thrown in the trash? And then lit on fire. To see bottled (laughs) up in that bottle and then sunk to the bottom of the ocean where no one could get it anymore. Where a really, really big fish with some really bright lights that it only turned on when it was about to. Bioluminescence. It was about to eat its spray and then it turned it on. It was like, ooh, this is a bottle. And ate it anyway. The angler ate it. In the belly. And then a big shark came and ate it. And then a big whale came and ate the shark. And then it was inside of the belly. And then squid. And then the giants, and then the aliens came. Oh, yeah, that tracks. (laughs) And this ableist thing that you really, really dislike, that you wish would just cease to exist, has now ceased to exist because now it's an alien world and it's inside the stomach of like five different creatures inside the stomach of an alien. And then that alien had a really high technology and when it passed away, it just like disintegrated and it was gone. It was gone forever. 
off our plane of existence. It became a black hole. Oh, my. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us what that thing is, because we have our things, and we would love to know what yours is. Thank you so much for listening. If you love our show, we would really appreciate if you could share it on social media, help other people find our podcast. You can also rate it in your podcast app. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to our website in 16years.com. And under our support page, you can buy us a coffee. You can connect with us on Instagram at in 16 years of endo. I hope you are saying right now that you could never live without this podcast. <laughs> wow. Let me just don't flatter. Don't say that. Wow. Flatter ourselves Please over don't here. Say that. <laughs> if you want me to make that inspirational poster all hunched over with the thing saying, what's your excuse? Reach out and let us know. If you and want I, to go with me to get that tattooed and on I your will, forehead, I'll also say, do that. And DM me on Instagram or email me, and I will just send you a picture that my boyfriend took of me last week during my period. <laughs> and, and then you can use Canva and put the words on what's your excuse. You can make your, your own. 